podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. There you are, some of the parting words uttered by David Gower and Ian Botham, their last day, of course, on commentary for Sky Sports, seeing England to that 135-run victory at the Oval, squaring the series to all. And as Ian Botham said, that's uh, 18 years since Australia have won a series here in England, 2001, of course, was the last time. I'm actually at Lords now, and it feels like the end of an era because I'm looking out at the gradually dismantled stands of Compton and Edrich at the far end of the home of cricket, uh, where they're now being taken down and being replaced in the next couple of years at a vast cost, actually, about £50 million. And also, of course, it's the last day of Trevor Bayliss in charge of the England teams as well. So uh, a new coach will be announced in due course. It's really uncertain who that will be actually but it's a a great last day at the Oval with England with the spinners and Stuart Broad actually uh, being uh, very impressive Joe Root with with a great all-round performance a couple of wickets and two stunning catches at the end that diving catch to his left to finish the match off was was really quite something and just an idyllic day at the Oval with the sun beating down a full house some good combative cricket with Matthew Way getting that 100. Um, and just, it felt like a fitting end, really, to what has been the most incredible summer of cricket with so many stunning individual performances and team performances, one of which, of course, was here at the Home of Cricket at Laws. Looking out now, it looks all a little bit quiet. <laughs> uh, in fact, it's not going to be quiet for the foreseeable because there's still cricket to go, of course, uh, with the championship to be decided, the Vitality Blast as well, the finals day coming up. So lots to still look forward to. The summer carries on. Everybody's a bit weary, actually. I think uh, the uh, Australians are desperate to, to get on that plane and get home, having been here, some of them, since May. And uh, even the England players, they're probably going to go and put their feet up because there are a few guys there running on empty towards the end of that test match. I'm at the uh, Village Cup final where Reed Cricket Club, who are just an hour out of London, have won their third National Village Cup. So they really are a prominent team in the village format. And uh, they won the match really quite comfortably in the end against Houghton, Maine. There's no Simon Mann today uh, because we're going to do a proper review of the Ashes tomorrow. So what I thought I'd do today is talk to the esteemed cricket writer Gideon Hay, who of course writes for the Times and also the Australian, uh, just to sort of consider the summer as a whole, the Ashes as a whole, and find out what he made of it. Well, look, it's gone probably um, better than Australians expected. Become accustomed to the idea that the Ashes has been a... Uh, a series that's where the home seed side has had a natural advantage, difficult to usurp, and Australia didn't have a lot of test form coming into this series. They had the challenge of reassimilating Warner Smith and Bancroft, and uh, had a coach on his first Ashes tour. Lots of things militated against Australian success. So, in some ways, they've defied some of our worst forebodings. Uh, These are two great teams, of course. Um, It's probably between the two of them there's one great team um, 
you know, out of the out of the combined elements of the best players. But one thing that's been quite impressive and I think should be uh, commended is that both teams have showed a degree of bounce back ability, a degree of resilience that speaks well of their coaches, that speaks well of their cultures. Um, you know, England came back from a serious deficit, might do so twice. Uh, Australia were 8 for 122 on the first day of the series and came back and won that game. England were bowled out for 67 at Egypt, uh, Headingley and came back and won that game. Uh, it's a, been a real knock them down and, um, and pick them up kind of uh, series and both sides have shown hitherto unsuspected degrees of uh, um, determination you know there's nothing worse than a one-sided Ashes series. We've seen probably too many of them in my lifetime. So it's been a refreshing change from that point of view. In a way, then, you're saying it's definitely perpetuated the rivalry, if not enhanced mm. it, given the, the disadvantage of coming straight on the back of the World Cup. Yes, yes, it has. Uh, don't forget, Australia had very little one-day uh, form to recommend it coming into the World Cup. We'd become a, a pretty mediocre one-day team, so we probably outperformed our expectations there as well. And it's rated its socks off in Australia. There is a huge latent appetite for Ashes cricket, particularly when um, the the series is in doubt for for most of the way through. A friend of mine watched the Headingley Test in her apartment block right to the end. A friend of mine doesn't even particularly like cricket and looked out her window when it was all over and said that every light was blazing because everyone was of the same mind. So it's been uh, been something that that's uh, captured people's interest at, at home, mm. even though it's been on at night. And what about the, are the Australians in, in in forgiveness mode because of the fact they've retained the ashes and the, pay, the players have largely behaved themselves? Yeah, I think the look the public wants to love cricket in Australia, and you know, that love expresses itself in interesting ways when. Philip Hughes was so tragically killed in 2014. Uh, it was fascinating to see the outbreak of uh, emotion uh, about an individual who most people, very few people, had actually met. Uh, there was a feeling of great protectiveness. There was a feeling of great connection to the Australian side at that time. That connection attenuated uh, following um, Sandpapergate. And there was a sense of, you know, not in my name uh, from Australian cricket fans. A lot of people very profoundly disillusioned. But there's something about the tradition and pomp and circumstance of an Ashes series that that obviously has an abiding connection with them. With the Australia drawing the series, do you think there'll be an element of disappointment that they weren't able to go on and win it? You know, first time for 18 years in England? No, I don't think so. I think most Australian fans are more rational. They know this isn't a great team. They know that England's not a great team. I suspect they'll feel, as I do, that it's a pretty fair reflection of both the talent on on each side and the the apportionment of luck. Of course, England have done without Anderson for the entire series. That's been somewhat offset by the advance of Archer. Uh, Australia were without Smith at at a crucial juncture in the series. Uh, they've lacked Jai Richardson, who I think would have been a, a, a really uh, useful adjunct to, uh, to to this attack. So, you know, both sides have shown a, a good deal of pluck under the circumstances and, and shown willing. Uh, and, of course, over the course of a five-test series, you, 
you get to see people go in and out of form, you get to see people submerge and, and re-emerge, you get to see people fight back against adversity, you see, get to see players put under the cosh like David Warner. Um, you almost can't look away from Warner's travails at the moment. There's something just all-encompassing about an Ashes series, uh, you know, I think, in ways that not even the World Cup um, captivates us. Do you, have you found it rich territory for writing? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. You always wonder, you know, when you get to the ground every day, what on earth can I possibly say about this game that I've described so many times before? Somehow your eye alights on something. Uh, and there is a pleasure that comes from conveying that enthusiasm to a, to, to a reader. The challenge for us all is these days uh, that you know, everyone at home is already seen what's happened, they know the score, they probably have a kind of a pre-digested opinion from what they've seen on, uh, on television. It's, it's a constant battle, an interesting battle, uh, and a fun battle, a stimulating battle, to find some way of introducing them to an aspect of the cricket that they couldn't have worked out for themselves. You've mentioned David Warner. Obviously, he's rich territory mm. for, for writing. What is his immediate future, do you think? Look, I think he'll be fine once he gets back to Australia. He averages 60 in test matches there. Uh, he's not going to face competition of the intensity that he's experienced from Broad and Archer this series. Uh, I, look, I think there's still a fair bit of cricket ahead of David Warner. Uh, in some respects, it's a bit hard to get a feeling for exactly what sort of form he's in, because he frankly hasn't been in for long enough to show it. It's not like he's getting sort of scratchy 15s. He's getting out in the first you know, five or six overs. Yeah, actually, uh, I just looked up, and uh, the, the Australian average opening partnership in the series is 8.5. Right, right. And I think overall, for both sides, it's 12.55. Yeah. So it's been hard... hard uh, Yakka. Hard yakka... For openers in general, for in England for quite a long time. It has, yeah. yeah. Mm, true. But I suppose the, the, the wider point, in a way, is that we, we've often thought uh, over this series that it's one of the weaker Australian batting mm, orders. Yeah. Is there anybody coming through, batting-wise? Because Australia mm, have a sort of great yeah, legacy of batsmen do. who love batting and staying in. Obviously, yes. they've got one, yeah. or in fact, the emergence of another mm. in Labuschagne. But... Yeah. Is there anyone in the wings? No, I think we're in a pretty fallow period for uh, for long form batting uh, ability. There's there's quite a few exciting short form players, but the system, if not broke, is uh, is is not as uh, not as good at uh, bringing on talent. It's very easy to uh, to mark time in Australian first class cricket, as I suspect it is in county cricket. Obviously, you're a renowned historian of the game. Many comparisons have been made with mm. Smith and Bradman. Yes. Where do you sit on that? Are there links and, and similarities, do you think? Well, a strange thing is that uh, you know a lot of players have been paralleled with Bradman who've gone through purple patches over the years. And the distinguishing factor has usually been that... Uh, mm that the statistics are just so overwhelmingly shaded Bradman's way that you end up you know, sort of an inferior copy. Smith is probably the first batsman who is accumulating statistics that are directly comparable to, uh, to, to Bradman's. I think since, he's, since he got his first 100 here in 2013, you know, he's averaging over 70 in, in, in Test cricket, and that's in all conditions, in all countries, which is something, of course, that Bradman never did because he only played in the, in the two countries. The difference, I guess, is aesthetic. 
uh, in a sense that uh, you know, Bradman radiated this kind of preternatural calm, this uh, machine-like uh, reproducibility of, of, of runs, whereas Smith is this weirdly eccentric figure with all these uh, mannerisms and, uh, and, and jerks uh, that you almost think, you know, he's obviously got such abundant nervous energy that uh, that he must exhaust himself by, by other means. But, in fact, he just seems to have uh, a unique élan vital uh, and an inexhaustible appetite for runs. Which doesn't show any signs of, of ending. No, no. Although, I mean, you know, I thought in the first innings here there signs of slight fraying. Mm. It wasn't perhaps quite as sure as he had been in, uh, in, in earlier innings. Uh, but you know, one is one is never sure. He's had luck this series. That's, yeah. that's important to, uh, to to any batsman in the in the in the pink of form. Uh, I, I suspect that part of that luck is to do with the fact that his wicket is obvious, so obviously important that people are putting an extra effort into uh, into, into getting it. And of course, you know, Jack Leach slightly overstretching in that uh, in that first innings at uh, at Old Trafford. Not a, not a bowler who routinely bowls no balls, but he did to Smith. Are you proud of him? Actually, I mean, maybe that's a, a weird question, but mm-hmm. is it something? Do, do you enjoy watching him bat? And, no, not particularly. You don't? No, no. I actually, uh, I find that a bit of a chore, <laughs> um, as indeed it is probably to bowl to him. Uh, he's. But I mean, are Australians proud of him? Do you oh, think? I think I think um, yeah, they're in a forgiving mood where, uh, where where Steve Smith is concerned, and it's interesting, isn't it? That what in the end it takes is a few runs. Yeah, ultimately, that that washes away all sins, and Warner hasn't made runs, so Warner remains a kind of a, a bit of a bit of a stormy petrel of Australian cricket. There's still plenty of uh, Schadenfreude on social media about uh, about Warner, but I imagine would that have been different if he'd made a couple of hundreds? Probably. The Ashes Urn mm. is making a visit. It is, it is. To the indeed. Melbourne Library. Yeah, to the State Library of Victoria. As I suppose deservedly, a... really. Well, I guess so, yeah. It hasn't been often, um, and it's been accompanied by lots of, uh, lots of ceremony. But interestingly, it's part of an exhibition about the history of Victoria, not, a, not an exhibition about the history of, of cricket. It's seen in terms of uh, a, uh, a Victorian cultural artefact because it originated at, uh, at the stately home of the, uh, of the Clark family. In, uh, in 1882, and the Clark family were the wealthiest family in uh, in uh, the colonies at the time, and have had a huge influence on the uh, on the establishment of Victoria. And in a sense, the the relationship that grew up between the Clark family and the amateur members of the England cricket team was a kind of a moment of social parity between England and the colonies that found its expression through cricket, and that was a very big deal for its time. Are you going to go and pay homage to the to the urn? Well, actually, when they announced the uh, the, the coming of it, I went and gave a, a small speech of dedication, and Steve Waugh came along as well. And uh, Steve was actually... St- I, Steve doesn't spend a lot of his time in state libraries like I do, and he was extremely impressed by the institution. I think he told me that his daughter is doing curatorial studies, so he was actually quite interested in how a collecting institution like the State Library offers. Surprisingly humble and engaging man, Steve Warren, in, uh, in person. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily have guessed that from his being such an implacable cricketer. One other thing, uh, you've done a lot of... Sp- uh, you've done a lot of... Uh, what's the word? 
you've done a lot of contributions to the Cricketer magazine yeah. on the window, yes, which is this yeah. picture that you choose every month, yes. which says something about the game in some way or, or form. Yeah. How do you select those pictures? Well, I mean, interestingly, I mean, you asked me to do that column a few years ago, and um, you just suggested Hugh just suggested a column, and I thought, well, I'd like to actually make it a sort of a dedicated column because columns are a freaking dime a dozen these days. I thought there was a there was a column in the um, New Republic by Jeff Dyer where he took a photograph uh, every issue and, and discussed it, kind of looked at the, the different layers of meaning and, uh, and and significance to it. So I thought I'd quite like to do that. The name of it, no one's ever asked me about the name of it before, but it's borrowed from the opening scenes of Beyond the Boundary where C.L.R. James, James talks about looking out his window at, uh, at the cricketers of his, uh, of his childhood. And you know, I often think in terms of a um, of a photographic concept. I, I like a concept, uh, a photograph that's an introduction to a sort of a subgenre of, uh, of of cricket imagery. Because I think quite a lot of our understanding of cricket is apprehended through individual images as well as moving images. Uh, and we all know what the iconic shots are. There's a lot. There's probably more iconic shots than we um, than we're inclined to think. And once you begin to look at a photograph, uh, it reveals aspects of the game that perhaps you'd previously suspected but hadn't quite identified. So you've learned from looking at the pictures a lot, yourself? A lot. I mean, we're here at the Oval, aren't we, in, um, uh, in 2019. Of course, the first photograph that I looked at seriously was the, uh, was the photograph of Trumper, um, taken you know, over there, probably around about that practice pitch um, on so the oval, because the, 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 the square hasn't changed. Uh, if you look over there, you'll see Clayton Street leading away from the ground. That's the little tiny gap in the skyline that you see behind Trumpers Head. If you look down Clayton Street, you'll see the two minarets on the top of what used to be the Kennington Board School. They're still there. Uh, I remember when I came here in 2015 with Philip Brown, we went around the ground trying to find the exact spot where the photograph had been taken. And who should be on that spot at that very time, having thrown ants in the nets? Steve Smith, who went out and made 100 the next day. And there we should leave it, actually, because <laughs> uh, that sort of uh, encapsulates the summer, it really. It does. It does indeed. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait to get home. <laughs> OK, well, thanks very much to Gideon Hay. His articles have been really compelling reading all summer, actually. I don't know how he thinks of some of the words he comes out with there. You know, quite uh, amazing. He's a stunning performer, probably regarded as the preeminent cricket writer in the world. I think he's done about 25 books on cricket as well, so he uh, he really is prolific. Okay, as I said, we're going to review the Ashes tomorrow, but I suppose it's been a fitting end to the series with England getting it to 2-2. It was the prediction that Simon Mann and I made, actually, at the start, so we got lucky there. Australia have probably been slightly better overall, but I think England have sort of improved, actually, as the series has gone on. And with that Stokes miracle victory at Headingley, they just deserved a 2-2 victory. But I think Australia deserved to retain the Ashes. And, of course, they're going to get the Ashes earned themselves for a little visit in November, as I mentioned in that interview with Gideon Hay. OK, I'm going to say good night now, and uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow to do a proper review of the Ashes series. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.